May these words of my mouth and this meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So here we are in ordinary time, the green season, with vestments to match the verdant natural world outside our doors. The snows and rains of this winter and spring have left Colorado green and lush on this eve of July in a way we haven't seen for years. It was impossible to ignore this change on my drive to Cathedral Ridge for the closing Eucharist at camp yesterday. Hillsides I've grown used to seeing as muted shades of brown were covered in green grasses and wildflowers. It was stunning. And of course, I had loads of time to take in this view because I was on I-25. Enough said, right? Even on a Saturday. For those of you who may be new to the idea of a liturgical calendar, and even for those of you who have been coming for a long time and might appreciate a refresher, what is ordinary time in the church, this green season? It's the longest season on the church calendar, And much like summer itself, it has a languid quality. In this season after Pentecost, we slow down a little bit. We get a bit of a respite from some of those bigger holy days. And I know our servers and vergers and all appreciate that. We settle in to a little less emphatic time. One description explained it this way. It's simply the time of year when we are not commemorating the major events of Jesus' life, such as his birth, death, and resurrection, but rather we focus on the things he said and did throughout his time on earth. Most of the days of our lives are ordinary. No birth, no death, no epiphanies, no miracles. Time filled with the ordinary love, hope, and fear that are common to daily life. These ordinary days are filled with lessons like the one this morning. Lessons on what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In this text from Luke's gospel, we meet a Jesus who is determined to meet his fate. A Jesus who knows exactly what is ahead of him, and he has set his face to meet it. With him on this journey are James and John the sons of Zebedee, some of the first disciples called by Jesus. In Mark, they are referred to as the sons of thunder. And they are the same brothers 
who later, with seeming arrogance, request seats at the right and left hand of Jesus in his glory. Perhaps it should come as no surprise then that their view of discipleship is to enact a scorched earth policy when Jesus is summarily dismissed by the Samaritans. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You can almost see the gleam in their eye, can't you? And I think they make Peter look pretty good. (laughs) Jesus rebuked them, calling for restraint rather than allowing them to dole out punishment. What a lot we can learn about following Jesus from this text, from Jesus' response to these zealous brothers. James and John's rhetoric is not all that dissimilar from much of what we hear today. Many in 2019 have this same scorched earth approach and lack of compassion to those who believe, look, and speak in a way different from themselves. Jesus calls for control of self, that most difficult of the fruits of the Spirit, control of self, not destruction of the other. Clearly, there is something to commend these brothers. I mean, after all, Jesus called them and he keeps them around. Perhaps their gift to us is their example of obedience. They do listen to Jesus. They do not call down thunder and fire. And they do not look back when he calls them to follow him. In this gospel text, we see a contrast of the brothers' immediate response to lay down their nets and follow Jesus with those who feel the need to get everything set first. Some would argue that's the responsible and measured response to a huge life change. How often do some of us utter the phrase, oh, but first, when faced with a call to action. But first has kept us in a place of hesitation. I wonder what all it's kept us from doing. I think one of the hardest things when we read scripture is understanding tone. Jesus' words on the page sound so harsh. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, cryptically, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Is this the original tough love? I think you can read it that way. 
that Jesus will have none of that stalling. But what if? What if instead of saying these words in a way that is strident and lacking compassion, Jesus' tone was actually one of understanding and full of compassion? I know I'm asking a lot, and I know this is hard. It will require everything you have to follow me and have a complete change in your life because nothing will ever be the same again. I can't help but believe that Jesus' response to James and John's unsympathetic and harsh desire to smite the Samaritans tells us a great deal about Jesus' tone of voice with these folks he is asking to follow him. If he had no patience with the brother's suggestion of judgment and destruction, punishment, why would he then turn around and do exactly the same? If there is one thing we know about Jesus, he models what he desires in us and from us. Compassion, self-control, all of those fruit of the Spirit. A life devoted to him as hard as that can be sometimes. And I do believe Jesus knows exactly what he's asking of us and how hard it is. But it is made easier when we hold close to the promises. Promises like those made in Psalm 16. My heart, therefore, is glad, and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even in an ordinary time, when we are asked to do extraordinary things, to follow Jesus, and to do it with compassion and love.